Yes team, welcome back to another episode of the High Performance Coach Podcast. It's been a little while since I have done a guest interview, especially in person, uh, but myself and the High Performance Coaching team are away uh, for 24 hours running a leadership day, which I'll give you a little bit more context uh, on another uh, podcast episode. But today I'm joined by the incredible, fabulous Jen, who's our Head of High Performance Coaching. I've mentioned uh, Jen in a few previous episodes, so it is an absolute pleasure uh, to have the opportunity to sit down with her. I think this could go go in so many different directions and I believe this may potentially need uh, a few different episodes. So Jen, welcome to the High Performance Coach Podcast. Thank you for having me. What do we uh, need to know about Jen to appreciate now why you do what you do? Oh, how long have you got? All day. <laughs> um, what do you need to know about me? So for, for as long as I can remember, I have been driven by an inner need to make a difference in people's lives. Um, I think just from the way that I was raised, the kind of family that I come from, um, my family have all been, you know, public servants for their whole lives. All of their careers were built in positively impacting the lives of other people. Um, my grandpa was a um, really, really strong and much admired member of his community. Uh, he was a trade unionist that fought for the rights of workers. He um, was a, a community advocate. He did lots of campaigning. Lots of work around justice and fairness for people who were less fortunate. Um, my my mum always tells jokes about how, when she was younger, people would like chat the door uh, of her house, and my grandpa would go to the door and they would just dish out money to people at the front door to make sure they had like money to feed their kids. And he was really really actively involved in making a difference in people's life, making a positive impact in people's lives, not for him but for them. Um, and he spent his whole life serving others and I think that's really been I think that's in my blood to be honest with you I just think it's it's some of it's learned but I think a lot of it is in my blood and I can remember kind of going through the course of my life and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and my whole life I wanted to be a music teacher that was all I wanted to do um, from the age of about 10 I think I was maybe 10 when I played started playing flute uh, my first instrument and then when I went to high school I started playing piano I started learning music theory I started sitting exams I was joining every band choir orchestra anywhere I could go to do something to do with music I did it uh, and I would spend hours every single day every lunchtime um, at school just practicing and being better 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 and I think trying to become a really good musician was the first time I learned discipline um, because music is such a hard skill to master. People assume that, it probably quite similar to like physical performance, people assume that a huge component of it is talent, and there is an element of talent, natural talent needed there, but it's discipline that masters the craft, and there's so many more components to it beyond just learning how to play an instrument. Um, so I think that was the first thing that really, really taught me what it takes to go after something that you love. Um, so my whole life I was training to be a music teacher and that was what I was doing and that was my path and it was decided and then at the last minute out of nowhere um, I decided to apply to study psychology at uni and I have, still have no idea to this day why I did it. It wasn't this like calculated decision or anything that I'd thought too much about but I just thought I quite like the sound of that. Uh, stuck on an application and I got in. And I decided to go and <laughs> my family, my music teachers, like they were livid because I had just, they were pouring all this 
time, energy, the money that was spent on private tuition, me traveling to all these different like orchestras, choirs, bands, like learning music theory, all of these exams, because you have to sit like ABRSM exams, so they're external to what you do in school. Um, hours of private tuition and not even just learning how to play the instrument when you play woodwind instruments when you play flute you need to learn um, specific breathing techniques so you need to spend like an hour a day just breathing you need to learn tone like there's so many different components to do it on a professional level that i spent all my time doing <laughs> to then just sack it all off and say nah i'm to do psychology and um my grandpa taught me you know like a lot that I know my grandma kind of taught me how to play piano initially before I went to uh, lessons because he was a really keen musician too uh, he played the or uh, the organ and he played trumpet and um, he would like critique my performance every Sunday and even when he was proud of me he'd be like mm, you're okay you're okay hen but there's you could do better there's some room for improvement uh, so he was equally as devastated as everybody else when all this time and money and energy had been poured into me that I was like, nah, uh, going to study psychology. So I went to uni, um, studied psychology. I did it for two years, but, but at the time of my life that I went to uni, my life was quite chaotic. Um, I was living in an abusive relationship and that really made everything in my life more difficult. So I felt like I never really got like a good run at uni. I never got a good opportunity to do it because my life outside was so chaotic. Um, and I was quite young as well, so I went to uni straight from school um, at 17 and to be 17 and in an abusive relationship, I had three jobs, it was just a lot, and then at uni, it was just a lot of responsibility I suppose for somebody to take, so I didn't do very well at uni, I scraped by with the skin of my teeth, um, I did every possible elective going because I just didn't know what I wanted to do, wanted to do. And I can remember the whole time thinking, like, I just need to find a way that I can positively impact the lives of other people. I just want to find something that I can do that helps. Um, so I graduated uni in 2014, with the skin of my teeth, uh, and I worked in a call centre part-time while I was at uni. I went full-time in the call centre just to bring money in um, for a year while I was trying to find a job. And I eventually found a graduate job in the NHS. Uh, in 2015 um, by this point had managed to leave uh, my abusive relationship um, after six years which takes a toll on a person uh, mentally physically in so many different ways um, but I started my graduate job and I was petrified like just so much imposter syndrome and not thinking that I was good enough and just trying to understand like where's my place here like because when you're a graduate you kind of you do placements so you do like rotations so you'll go to like different departments and when I started they were like so where do you want to go what are you interested in and I was like I have no idea <laughs> like genuinely no idea I was like do you do anything involved with people like where like where can I go because I'd only ever worked I'd worked in Morrison's I'd worked in an Indian restaurant I'd worked in a pub in my hometown and I'd worked in a call centre so I was like I don't know how organisations work like you tell me where I have to go um, so, so I was like I'm interested in people and how they learn and they were like right fine fuck it you can go to HR <laughs> so uh, they sent me into HR and then I rotated to um, a place no longer exists but uh, it was called the National Leadership Unit and I was put in there so the National Leadership Unit were responsible for developing and educating leaders across the National Health Service in Scotland um, and I was put into that team 
and the office was in Edinburgh and I can remember having to like commute so I live like just like about 20 minutes outside of Glasgow so I was doing that commute back and forward five days a week I hated it so miserable uh, now looking back like working from home I'm like how the hell did I do that hour long commute five days a week it was grim um, and I would rock up to the office full of imposter syndrome absolutely no self-belief like I grew up in a place called Blantyre um, really small town like the school that I went to was just like someone getting stabbed at lunchtime was just a non-event like it was just it was just the way that it was so I'd grown up in a really different place to where I was now trying to build a career the people were different they made fun of me for my accent they made fun of me for the way that I pronounced things um, and the way that I spoke and just really sort of like looked down on me for my upbringing and you know what in comparison to theirs and me going to public school they all went to private school so it was a really really challenging environment to be in when I was already low in self-belief and already feeling that imposter syndrome and they just kind of reinforced to me that you're not you don't belong here and then I met Sharon uh, and Sharon is still my mentor to this day Sharon was my first boss when I entered the NHS and Sharon similar to me grew up in small town you know, um, she had quite a difficult upbringing and stuff and had really carved a career for herself from, from nothing just through sheer tenacity. She is the most tenacious, headstrong, intelligent, one of the most successful people that I know and she's mentored me through this whole uh, journey since I met her when I was 22, uh, which is mad to think about. So um, I met Sharon and she took me under her wing and she taught me everything about professionalism, you know, showing up well dressed. Make sure always make sure you get makeup on. Make sure your hair's clean every time you go to a meeting. <laughs> It'll never be late. Um, and she taught me everything about organisational development, which is where I went on to build my career. So, organisational development is basically developing people, leaders, and teams to grow an organisation. And I built my career building teams, developing teams, building services and teams around those and then developing leaders and their ability to actually lead those teams and deliver deliver public services. So I did loads of great work um, and I really, really enjoyed what I did and I got promoted quite fast um, within my field. What happens a lot of the time is that people will do another career and then end up in OD and I did it the wrong way around. So I was quite young and that was a challenge as well like I get patronized quite a lot I didn't really get taken seriously quite a lot of the time um, by people and for any women who have worked in the corporate world in a leadership position that comes with quite a lot of challenge simply by being a woman um, but thankfully Sharon had kicked down <laughs> every wall that was ever built in front of me um, so I moved around a few different health boards uh, and I ended up in Glasgow uh, working as a, as a team and leadership consultant um, in 2019 and I loved it and then Covid happened, we got stood down from our jobs and we set up um, these staff rest and recuperation hubs across all the different hospital sites which was great, we had um, this project called Project Wingman, it was all the grounded um, cabin crew because they couldn't fly, they couldn't go to work so they came into the hospitals and they helped us and we just made tea and coffee for people and had a chat with them. We had mental health first aid and psychologists to support. We were coaching. We just gave them somewhere to be away from the chaos of 
working in a hospital during COVID um, and they were great. They were so much fun. They used to bring in like the tea trolleys and all see the trolleys <laughs> that they push up down the <laughs> yeah. plane. They used to bring them in and push them around the hospital um, for the staff. It was hilarious. They just, they made us laugh every single day and it was honestly such a joyous time. It's such a hard time for so many people because I don't think people who, ha who, don't, who didn't work in hospitals or haven't worked in hospitals will never understand how terrifying that was not for me I'm not patient it was never patient facing but I mean we had staff coming in you know head to toe in PPE like the full suits and just collapsing to the ground because there was not there wasn't enough PPE at that time so they were like having to get into their PPE and then work a 12-hour shift without going to the toilet or taking a drink of water because as soon as it comes off that's it you can't put it back on again um, and stuff was so limited we didn't want to waste anything so people were just exhausted traumatized but they really brought like a wee, we did something good at a time where everything was really bad. So I loved it. My job then changed significantly after that. It stopped being adding value because the theme for me is always I want to be adding value. We stopped adding value. It became really administrative. Um, and around 2019, I started working with this random PT guy from Hamilton called Mark Strathairn. And um, I'd always known who Mark was. We we uh, we grew up ten minutes apart from one another, and I always decided that he wasn't the PT for me. So all these messaging and stuff was targeted directly at people like me, and I used to get so triggered by it. And I was like, Nah, I would never work with him. Never work with him. And then eventually, uh, I got engaged at the end of 2018. Um, in 2019, I was sick of the yo-yo diet and never losing weight. Blah blah blah. So I signed up to work with Mark on the gym floor. And for the first time, I think, in my whole life, he's, I, I worked with somebody who's seen me for me and he could see the pain. I was living with PTSD and I didn't know and food was my source of comfort. Um, so trying to lose weight or work with a PT or anything was just such a challenging experience for me. But he chipped away and chipped away and chipped away um, and I got a great result uh, working with him both on the gym floor and then during COVID. And then in uh, 2021, so by this point, um, I'd done a postgrad degree in organisational design and development, and I'd done a few accredited courses in human behaviour, um, brain-based uh, behaviour coaching, um, and I decided the time had come for me to do my coach accreditation, which is almost like the next level up in your coaching skill and development. Most people in my field of work would be a, a, an accredited coach, so that was the next um the next path for me and I'd kind of I'd done my master's modules as well so this was the next thing that I wanted to, to add the next string I wanted to add to my bow and I needed a guinea pig to practice on because you need a certain amount of hours to qualify so I decided that Mark was going to be my guinea pig he was also going through a time of major change and transition as most co uh, online coaches were at that time so we started working together with him as my coach and guinea pig and in uh, so sorry I started doing that in 2020 I qualified at the very beginning of 2021 and Mark said to me in February 2021 we went for a walk and he said listen see some of that stuff that you talk about in your coaching like the values and the vision and all that kind of thing would you come in and do a talk for the guys on that and I was like Mark I wouldn't know what to say and he was like Jen I can't get you to shut up <laughs> like you'll be absolutely fine come and do a talk on values so April 2021 I delivered a talk on values to Mark's community um, and they loved it and I loved it and I did that. Uh, so he, he brought me in, he started doing kind of monthly trainings 
I did a few one-to-one -one coaching calls so that I could build up my practice hours. And uh, October 2021, um, by this point, I'd, we got married in the May. Um, I got married to Paul. And then we moved in with his mum and dad to save for a house because we'd been renting before then. And October 2021, I delivered a training to Mark's team. And after it, I remember saying to Paul, I wonder if I could do this for more people. Like, I wonder if I could make a job out of this. And just as I said that, I opened WhatsApp and Mark had messaged me and was like, you need to do this more. He was like, you're really good at this. There's an opportunity. There's a whole industry here. You could do this inside the fitness industry. And I was like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, but he put the feelers out. He put me in contact with a lot of people and everything just sort of like boomed from there. Like it felt like it happened overnight. Um, so I started building a business on the side whilst working full time. It went incredibly well and I left my job, my full-time job in August 2022 to pursue my business full-time, coaching people in groups, eh, inside communities delivering trainings and having some of my own private one-to-one -one clients. Um, and that has led me all the way to here um, because I don't think you would know I existed <laughs> if it wasn't for Mark. Um, but I realised over time that my my part of my whole passion of contribution and supporting people lies with supporting health and fitness coaches and online coaches to become better at coaching. I feel very in service to their clients and supporting them through what is such a challenging journey of change that making sure that coaches are as well equipped as they can be to help those people as best they can. So really long-winded tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty much the whole story from start to finish in 15 minutes. Maybe. Incredible. <laughs> I would love to know the C word, which is what actually does coaching mean? Because uh, you're an accredited coach. Uh, we have so many conversations uh, with the team around actually like what is coaching and how can we now raise and elevate the standards of coaching? And um, actually, yeah, like there's a whole different world out there that I think uh, so many uh, health and fitness coaches are unaware of because you do your level two, your level three, and it's like, right, okay, then where else do you now go and learn to coach other than potentially trying to mirror others uh, through the process that they may have been on? So in your uh, world and in your view and in your expertise, like what does coaching me. For me, my definition of coaching is a partnership between two people where a coach holds space for the right balance of support and challenge to help someone else achieve the outcome or their goal. For me, it's, it's literally that simple. Um, I specialise in brain-based behaviour change coaching. Um, so because of who I've been mentored by in other training um, and qualifications that I've done, I use neuroscientific principles, so I use neuroscience and an understanding of how the brain works to help people understand how they change their behaviour as a result of that. Um, so I think for me, my process, somebody said to me recently that like, coaching's quite, it's quite a feeling thing. It's not, they said to me, it's very emotional and it's not logical. And I was like, I actually completely disagree because my coaching process is so logical mm -hmm. that I can guarantee a result for someone if it's applied appropriately because it's designed to work in tandem with how your brain is structured. Um, so I think everyone has a different definition of what coaching is. And I think how you approach it and how you or where you specialise will differ. But it is a partnership agreement with two people who have a shared and common purpose, which is you're going to this outcome and I'm supporting you to this outcome. The client is always driving the car the coach is in the passenger seat with Google Maps open. 
-hmm. Absolutely, the client is the hero of their own journey and then you are, you are basically their guide. What do we need to understand about uh, coaching on a fundamental level in terms of building trust with the clients that we're working with that allows us to be that guide mm -hmm. and for them to allow us the opportunity to go on that journey with them? Yeah, I think the mistake that a lot of coaches make is that they think that trust is guaranteed and it's almost as if the mistake I watch a lot of coaches make is they begin the relationship with the assumption that trust is already there. And actually, from what we know from, from human behaviour theory, when someone is experiencing change, it can take at least six months for them to trust you themselves and the process. So it's really important as a coach that you assume that the person doesn't trust you in those initial stages. Not that it would change the way that you interact with them, but not making the assumption that they immediately will respond to what you're telling them. Um, you shouldn't be telling them anything, but we'll get on to that. Um, but really just understanding that you will have a process that you know works, but your job is to support that person to adapt it to themselves for their outcome. And crucially, you don't own your clients' outcomes. You don't own their wins. You don't own their failures. You have no responsibility, accountability or authority for their behaviour, their results or their outcomes. And I think the less you centre yourself and your needs and your coaching relationships, the greater the trust, the greater the value of the relationship is to both people and the more likely they are not only to achieve but to sustain a result. If you give someone everything they need to get there, like it's like you can teach a man to, like you can teach a man to fish but like you can, can grab the fish out of the water for him and just give him it, right? Like you, you need to give people not only the thing, but the tools, the equipment, the knowledge and the support to know that if I lose this, I can get it again. Mm -hmm. And you touched upon uh, the trust and the, the, the component obviously of that. What do you believe as coaches we need to do in order for us to now be able to establish and build trust if we're working with a new with a new client when mm. somebody comes through the door? What are some of the key uh, principles and or um, behaviours that need to be in place for yeah. you to now be able to build trust? And I know it's going to be client dependent, yeah. Uh, but what are some of the practices that you feel as though um, are common and or consistent with what you've seen? Yeah. Okay. First step of anyone who works with people is relationships. You can do literally, and I learned this through my whole career, even before I was a coach, all of the work that I did, I could spend hours pouring myself into being the best consultant that I could be, designing the best frameworks, the best tools, the best processes, the best sessions, all the flashy things, and literally none of that would matter if I didn't have the relationship with the sponsor. And if I don't have the relationship with the sponsor of the work, they don't trust me to do a good job, the work doesn't happen. The same exists in a coaching relationship. The relationship is always your number one priority. You have to give a shit about them as a human being beyond what they're in your programme to achieve. And it, you need to learn to coach the person and not the process. And I call it the coaching container. And I think there's four walls to the coaching container. They're all equally as important as one another, but I think when it comes to establishing trust, psychological safety for me is one of the most important components of that. What you have to remember is that at the point in time at which someone finds you, they have already searched for you for sometimes years, but until, the, until I found a, the coach who was right for me, I had spent thousands of pounds 
trying to lose weight, change my relationship with food, recover from binge eating, build strength, enjoy exercise, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of joy. I've had personal trainers make me wear a bin bag in personal training so that I sweated more. I had a man who used to tell me he'd eat six almonds a day and I had to chew them 20 times. Like, I've been told some mental, mental shit, right? And like, it took such a long time for me to find the right person that of course I'm going to be reluctant, of course I'm going to be unsure of whether it's actually going to work. And I think what, I, I, I say this to coaches quite a lot, what you have to remember is that you have done this process, both sides, from both sides a million times. You've been client and coach through that process a million times, so you know instinctively how it works. They have never done this before. At the point in time at which they've found you, they have poured so much money, time and energy into trying to find the thing that you have to know that they have never done this before and neither have you because you have never worked with them before. And if you really want to establish a true, strong relationship with people, psychological safety for both of you has to be present. If you feel unsafe that they're going to leave or they're going to ghost you or they're going to churn or they're going to leave after their three months minimum commitment, you don't feel psychologically safe in that mm. relationship. That person knows. Similarly, if you are berating them for you know, give me your calories, give me your steps, right, when they've got so many other competing priorities going on in their life, or alternatively, being too scared to challenge them, right, and just becoming a supportive friend and going, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, try again tomorrow. Both of them are, are as um, problematic for establishing psychological safety in a, in a relationship. You have to bring in compassionate challenge to the things that you do for people and the way that you work with people because support and challenge have to exist on an equal basis for that coaching container, that psychological safety to be established for the person to know you're going to support me when I need it, but you're also not going to let me let me get away with my own shit. Mm -hmm. And you talked about our event in February, which was absolutely incredible. And I think you blew everybody away. Uh, and that's been a huge catalyst as to why you are sat here today as the head of high performance coaching um, is obviously you talk about how we say to clients all the time, you need to trust the process. Uh, but do you trust your own process? Because I feel as though that is one of the biggest challenges that a lot of coaches actually face is that they tell people to trust the process, but they actually don't trust their own process, which then operates, leads them to operating from this fear and this uncertainty, which then means that they have this volatility and then they make decisions that actually aren't in alignment with what they really need to do, but because they've sold them into a said time frame program and they've promised and guaranteed them that result, they're almost then operating out of alignment in terms of what they really should be doing because that's the expectation of said client that they've now come into. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more around your thought process around that? Yeah. I think that people promise, I don't think that it's that they promise something that they can't deliver. They promise that they will give the client a result as opposed to promising that the client can get themselves a result. Mm -hmm. And this is the challenge that I think a lot of people fall into is that they will say, I will give you this thing if you join my program, I will give you this, right? And in reality, that person always has a choice whether they want to get it or not. And like I said, I know that the process that I have designed, I can guarantee a result if it's applied correctly, right? So if you don't have unshakable faith in your, your, pro, your process, what happens is that people leave, okay? And the thing is, is that I have another, um, a bee in my bonnet about how kind of churn and retention is spoken about 
churn and retention are business things, mm -hmm. right? That those are business terms that refer to the way that your clients work, right? You're not losing a client, right? That person has decided that they no longer want to work with you, okay? There can be multiple different reasons for that. And nine times out of 10, it's nothing to do with you as coach. Coaches are centered in themselves and their clients' decision-making far too much. This is 100% of your world. It's about 5% of theirs. They have careers, families, lives, challenges, obstacles, past experiences. They have a whole world out with your weekly check-in, right? So when you're so volatile over, oh my God, I'm losing clients or turning, I'm not retaining them, business issues, right? That you need to look at with a business hat on and not a coaching hat on. When you're looking at this with the coaching hat on, you have to take the time to reflect on your own practice. Reflective practice is the number one most important component of training as a coach. Now, any, any coach accreditation that I have done, reflective practice is about 25% of the work that we do because you cannot grow and develop as a coach if you're not reflecting on what you're doing and how you're doing it well. And a lot of the time, people will only reflect on their practice if they get that negative feedback that something's not going well. Right. So they're not reflecting on their practice and their interactions with people after they deliver trainings or a live talk or they coach someone through a challenging situation. Right. It's always on the basis of something's gone wrong in business. Therefore, that is the belief that I am not good enough as coach. <clears throat> and what we have to bear in mind is that a lot of the time it's none of your business why that person has decided to leave your process. It's actually you don't have any right to know that person can give you that information if they want to, but ultimately it's actually none of your business whether what they want to leave for or not. Um, so I think when it comes to understanding your process, you have to be clear on what it is that you can actually promise the person can get for themselves. You're not responsible for doing the thing and creating the, and holding the person accountable, right? You're not pulling that person out the muck every single time they get in it. You're helping them while they're in the muck to say, okay, what got you here in the first place? And I'm going to talk you through how you can support yourself to get out of here. So the next time you fall in, you can get out on your own. And a lot of the time when people talk about accountability, this is what I think impacts the process quite a lot of the time is they see themselves as being the person who creates it and actually you create the space for your client to hold themselves accountable to you, right? Whereas if you are on them, where's your check-in? What are your stats? Let me see this, let me see that. That's not coaching. None of that is coaching. Health and fitness coaching is a blended approach. It's coaching, teaching and mentoring rolled into one. I would say health and fitness coaches probably coach maybe about 25% of the time. If you've taught someone how to do something, you've showed them how to do it and they're still not able to do it, then it becomes a coaching issue. And a lot of the time when you're entering into exploring a coaching challenge with someone, you have to accept for yourself that they might not figure this out, they might not fix this and neither will you. There's something about holding responsibility in your process for what you know you can co-create with them. But the more you over-promise what is available or you over-promise what you can help them to get, the more you create volatility for both people because the placement is off, the expectations are over-exceeded. They perform from a place of volatility. You coach from a place of volatility. You need to be up here 
on that equal platform that says, here is where I know that I can guide you. And they can go, okay, well, that's where I can expect myself to go. And through your time having worked with now uh, so many coaches and being in so many communities uh, over the course of the last six, seven, eight months or so, what is it you found specifically that uh, the coaches that are really building incredible relationships and doing phenomenally well and they're being able to really create these really, really powerful coaching containers, what is it that you feel as though they're um, specifically doing uh, that has allowed them obviously to be able to facilitate mm. that? There's a few different things, I think, for me. Number one is is a clear-cut vision and purpose. Like I've said from the beginning, m my vision for my whole life has been to positively impact the lives of others. How I've done that has changed dramatically. Had you told me as a young graduate in the NHS that I would one day be working in the fitness industry, right? Like, I was a kid that had a note for PE every single week, right? There is no way in God's earth I was ever ending up in this industry, right? And the thing is, is that, like, for me, that was a job for life. I was just going to work there forever. I never seen this as a possibility. It was the right move for me because I was able to have a bigger impact and add more value here than I was over there. And as soon as I felt like I stopped adding value and I stopped doing something of meaning that was helping people, then I knew my vision is no longer being fulfilled here. So what, what I do, how I fulfill it, right? The why is always the same. The purpose, the why I get up and do the thing is never changed and never will. How I do it is the thing that grows and evolves and changes. A lot of the time coaches will tell me, I just want to help people. And I'm like, that's great, but how do you know how the person wants to be helped? Are you helping them through the lens of how you think you are helpful? Or are you helping them on the basis of what they are telling you they need to be helped with? For me, that's the key difference. You almost have to remove yourself from the equation entirely and say, how do I be what this person needs me to be within the realms of what I know I can safely provide? You can't be all things to all people, but honestly, the one thing that sets people apart for me is the people who don't say the thing and there's going to be a lot of people that don't like this when I say this say it <laughs> it's the term they're just not coachable mm -hmm. it really pisses me off because the you're making the assumption that that person is not coachable because you don't feel that you can coach them so you have deemed that person uncoachable right without stopping to question actually was I maybe just the wrong coach for them right or could I have done something differently as a coach? Everybody is coachable. Everybody has the capacity to learn and grow. As human beings, we evolve by learning and growing. Everybody grows, changes, shifts, learns, like evolves. That's just the way that we operate. So actually, everybody on this earth is coachable, right? So there's something for me about how you extract yourself from the view of others how you take yourself away from the perspective of what do I get from my coaching business and rather what is the contribution that I want my role as coach to make? What is the difference that I want to make to people's lives? When I look back over my life, over my career, at my 80th birthday party, when I'm surrounded by people, who's at the table? What are they saying about me? What's the impact, what's the legacy that I've left in the world when people reflect on my life, when I reflect on my life and my career? and how they attach meaning to the, the different events that I've had in my life. It's so much bigger and beyond the money that's in the bank, the amount of clients that you have, the, how shiny and efficient your lab is. Like, 
literally none of that has anything to do with coaching. Literally none of it. So I think for me, it's it's the con it's the focus on what you can contribute and what you can give and who you are in service to. That will always trump what you want, what you can get, and how it impacts you. And if we think about vision and purpose, and we take that one step further into the culture, which is how you would frame it's how we it's how we do things. Mm. How do you, as a leader, then set the vision and purpose, and then how does that get facilitated in? the culture mm -hmm. what is it about the leader um in terms of their behavior their character how they communicate how they conduct themselves that really facilitates that container that actually provides the environment of this is how we do things mm. i think that what you have to remember as coaches humans are incredibly per perceptive right human brain is very very ma very malleable and we will we will always take we will always select the information that reinforces the belief that we already have. So if someone has a belief of you as coach, that you have always got your shit together and that you can keep it all together and you're always okay and everything's always good, and you're always positive and high energy and blah, 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 blah. That's going to reinforce the belief that they have of you. Okay. So sometimes what happens with coaches is that that gives them the fear, right? And they go, okay, I have to main this, maintain this persona all of the time. Otherwise, my clients are going to think that I'm shit. They're all going to leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happens is that for you, that then creates this big sense of dysphoria where you have coach over here and you have person over here. And every single time you take the coach mask off, you wonder how the hell am I going to put it back on again? And when, when you're trying to build a culture within community, you have to make sure that one, you're bringing people into that culture and community who feed it and not drain it, okay? When it comes to building community, again, focus should always be on contribution. What can I give to someone here? If everyone is focused on giving, everybody then gets in return, right? Because everybody is so focused on the contribution that they can make. They get the satisfaction of contribution. They learn for themselves actually how much they already know, right? They know that they're having an impact and in turn they get this volume of support, information, energy from other people, right? So if you're the person who's responsible for, for the container of that culture, you have to make sure that the people that you bring in align with that culture, right? And align with that community, right? And I love when you use the term of um, when people's communities are like Monsters Inc, right? When people first start building a business and they're like, I'll work with anybody. And then it starts to create volatility because people don't gel, right? The reason people don't gel is because they don't have a shared vision and purpose. And the thing is, is that I do think you can still work with people who have different values from yours. Um, a lot of the time, it won't always have an impact in a coaching relationship. Um, but what you have to consider is that if I'm really trying to build a strong community, how do I make sure that for people coming in, they are surrounded by people who either have their desired behaviour already and are doing it really well or are surrounded by people who can support them to get there right because that's just the way that it works so when you as a leader are containing culture right because you can't create it right no matter how many brilliant videos or podcasts or things that you say that's not going to create your culture right but how you do things as a collective will make the culture obvious to other people because it's how we do things around here right any of the communities that I work in that are super engaged, strong cultures, people always say, oh my God, it's like a cult, right? 
and uh, like we we say this, me and Matt joke about this quite a lot. And, like we've said this as well. Like in HPC too, it can be like look, look at them with all their matching hoodies, right? Like a cult. But the reason that it feels like that is because you look from the outside and go, there's something different about mm -hmm. in there, right? Mm -hmm. There's something in there that obviously works really, really well because once people are in, they are in, right? And that's the difference is that the leader decides the direction and the leader decides what is acceptable, but the people there have a shared and common purpose for them, their lives, where they want to go. And they're not only focused on how they get there, but actually how do I support other people to come there with me? How do I pull them up the ladder instead of climbing up the ladder myself and pulling it up behind me? Yeah, I think as always, it's giving, I absolutely love that. I think it's giving people, like I say, a sense of belonging mm. where, again, they actually feel listened to, heard, understood. They actually feel as though that actually they can be themselves and they're now part of um, this environment that actually gets it. And I think one big challenge that I had, if I speak from experience, was that as a in brackets, leader, um, I thought that I had to be smashing it, crushing it, dominating. Everything had to be motivational, happy, clappy, you know, chicken and broccoli, like for wearing, <laughs> jumping up and down like a loony tune and basically telling everybody how fantastic things were. But exactly as you said, it was like, that was me based upon this perception um, of what I believed that I needed to be and what people needed me to be. And actually, if I wasn't doing that and I wasn't being this inspiration, then ultimately people wouldn't trust me. They wouldn't think that I had my shit together. They would then basically want to leave, etc. And in doing so, what ended up happening, this was years and years ago, was that it just created a disconnect. And then mm -hmm. it also created this relationship where there wasn't truth. There wasn't authenticity because um, they wouldn't open themselves up because I was pedestaling myself so much that they couldn't connect to me and then they would feel like they were letting me down yeah. and then I wasn't able actually to be able to establish common ground and or build a relationship and um, based upon what I've interpreted from that and even my own journey it's like the moment that I was actually able to allow myself to accept me for me mm. and was then allow, allowing myself the opportunity to be inspirational but also empathetic open honest vulnerable and relate, uh, relatable in that realm like it allowed me to build real genuine connections yeah. which is a byproduct that comes back to the person and then when you've got that contribution and that container or actually you're then getting the best out of the person who then gets the best out of the environment and then you all elevate together. Absolutely. But I think sometimes you're thinking, how do I influence everybody? But instead of actually thinking, well, how am I building these strong relationships with individuals who as a byproduct then, like I say, want to be able to then go and contribute themselves yeah. because of the relationship that they've now got with you and also the safety that they feel because they feel as though that actually they can just be them yeah. Um, and they feel that there's that degree of trust, which exactly as you said, takes time yeah. and different people will go through different stages because of what they've previously been through. Yeah. And I think the thing is like, you can't rush this process, but if you can now commit to that process and play a longer term game, mm. in doing so you'll build a better business yeah. that's built on more solid foundations. But so often we're playing this short term finite game mm. because we're trying to plug the, you know, we're trying to fill the valley instead of actually yeah. now thinking about, right, okay, and of course, there's obviously short-term considerations that need to be made with financial, pay the bills, etc. But if you can have that longer-term like foresight and you can play that game and you can build the environment and you can uh, behave and conduct yourself in alignment with that longer-term like vision and purpose, yeah. you might not necessarily win in the short-term, but I believe over the long-term, you then create something spectacular. Absolutely. That is... Um, like you say, just um, unfuckwithable to yeah. a degree. And, and I always say to people, like, so you have to give people a reason to stay, right? There has to be something that they can achieve or that they can get from staying in your programme that 
might not be visible to them at, point, at that point in time. At the point in time at which they decide to leave, they have the belief that either what they're trying to get, they can't get within your program, right? Or that there's something else that they want to do that you can't help them with. Mm -hmm. So you have to give them a reason to stay not that you have to give them the thing, mm -hmm. right? You just have have to help them to find the reason, right? And once they find the reason, which by the way is always, always linked to their vision, every single time, once you help them to find the reason, you say, okay, so as coach, let me support you to get there. Let's work on your smashing your personal standards so that you've got more energy, you've got more time available to work on the thing, right? Let's focus on getting you fitter and stronger so that you can run about after your kids and play football with them in the park on a Saturday afternoon. There is always a bigger reason behind what they want. And if they don't believe that it's you and your programme, then you have to find help them to find and stretch the reason. And as a leader, you should always be aspirational to your people, right? And Actually, what's more, in my view, being that perfect pedestaled coach is so unrealistic for people that it's not aspirational. They will make the assumption that you're somehow superhuman and so different from them that they can never be like you. And exactly as you say, they then can't open up because it internalises their own shame, their own judgment of themselves, right? When in actual fact, if you can stand there aspirationally and say... Yes, I have got most of my shit together, but right now I'm really struggling with this. And I'm really struggling with this, but I'm still okay, mm -hmm. right? So I'm finding this part of my life difficult, but I'm focusing on what I can control, which are these things that make me feel good. And I have unshakable faith that I will get through this and I will be okay, right? That for me is like, if you could package and put that on a shelf and sell it, right? Well, like hotcakes. Because what you're showing people is that you have created for yourself a way of life and a way of being that even amongst challenge, you know that at some point you'll be okay and you can be forthcoming and talk about those vulnerabilities that you're experiencing, not in the past, 10 years ago when I went on my weight loss journey, but now in the here and now, because mm -hmm. I'm a human, you're a human, right? And that's how you relate to people. Your current vulnerabilities are always stronger than your past ones. And what you're demonstrating is not that you're struggling too, but actually this is challenging and I'm still okay. So I can show you how to still be okay when life gets tough. Yeah. And I think one big challenge that coaches have with that is then how far is too far? And then mm. if I open myself up too much, and then I think there's always that kind of little continuum that they're almost like, where, where am I? Where do I fit right now? Mm. Um, and I think, again, that's just an art. And I think sometimes these lessons have to be experienced in order for them to be understood. Mm. Um, but I think the more that you can do that, um, the greater degree of safety you create. Absolutely. And exactly as you said, if you only ever talk about, and I think it was you that I took this from, it's like your previous struggles and my previous problems and my previous issues and my previous this and my previous that, and you never talk about your current, again, you're then just pedestaling and just creating this, well, that's where I used to be and this is where I am now, so I'm, I'm fine and I'm good. Yeah. Um, and I think second thing to that is, as always, like the big thing that I've realized even inside the high performance coach is like, people aren't staying for me, you know? And for you as a leader, it's about actually allowing your ego to almost be put to one side. It's mm -hmm. about actually they're staying in this container because of the people that they are surrounded with uh, by the aspirational identity and now what it means and what it represents and what it embodies. And again, the safety, the connection, the relatability um, that also then provides for that individual on that journey. Because mm -hmm. most times somebody's, when somebody's going through change, 
it can feel quite isolating, quite lonely, quite challenging. You can get quite a bit of conflict. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, that's why it's so important that you can create that space and being able to build that um, container, which always starts with the leader initially, mm. um, I think is so integral and is such an inf influential piece of being able to build a quote unquote sustainable, successful coaching business, not from a financial perspective necessarily, but from even a fulfillment perspective and impact perspective for you and also for you to be able to feel as though that you're part of something that's bigger and greater than you, yeah. you know, because we all need belonging. And for the first time in my life, like for, with the high performance coach, especially like I feel as though that I have found my people, even mm. though they may feel as though they found me. Yeah. Like I feel as though that I've truly found my people. And whilst I'm the leader insert, whatever, like I believe that I've got such an incredible bond and relationship with these individuals that actually they support me. Yeah. And it's that accountability almost works both ways. And it's yeah. not like I'm here and you're here. In my mind, it's like we're on this journey together. And they're the people who are helping you to fulfill your purpose. Mm -hmm. This is the key thing behind it. Your clients as a coach are the people who make your purpose possible. And when we get too stuck in the transaction of coaching, we can forget that there is transformation at the root of all of this. Never ever forget that the people who choose to work with you, right, because it's a choice, are helping you to fulfill what you wanted mm -hmm. to create. And without them, it doesn't exist. So you have to treat your people exactly like that, that, that thing in your life that has brought you fulfillment and joy and purpose. And if you're not getting that, in my view, you shouldn't be coaching. If you are in this game and you don't get that fulfillment from your people, and don't get me wrong, as you grow and change as a coach, your people will grow and change and that's okay. Um, and it should so that you're always working with the right people and that they're always working with the right coach. But if you don't get that fire from them and how they help you to fulfill your purpose, you have to zoom out and ask yourself, what's this for then? What is this actually doing for me? Um, because coaching is not a transaction. It should always be a transformation for both people mm -hmm. in the partnership. So if there's a coach sat here and listening to this podcast just now and they're thinking, actually, do you know what? I really want to develop uh, my coaching skill, my coaching acumen. I want to be able to understand these coaching frameworks mm -hmm. um, in more depth and more detail and really kind of armor myself with um, that confidence um, through the competence that they're then building. What would you suggest would be beneficial for them to do apart from join the high performance coach. I was coach. about to say, <laughs> join the high performance coach. Apart um, from join the high performance coach, uh, what, what would you, what would you, what, where, where would you suggest one would start? And I know that maybe, you know, that's a complete open loop, but mm. what, what, what would you typically say? Honestly, I would encourage you to get to know yourself better first. Before you learn how to coach other people, you first must understand yourself as a being and what you bring into a coaching dynamic by who you are as a person. You, you, you're almost like, coach is almost like a vessel, right? Coach is a vessel for the, the space that they are holding and the space that they are creating. And when you can work on being the best possible vessel, right? you determine how successfully that person will reach an outcome. Like, it's almost like 
it's almost like you just become this space for them to move through. That's the only way I can describe it. And I think taking time to work on myself as a person, right? And understanding how do I be so present and engaged in this conversation that my, the floor could be crumbling underneath me in my house and I wouldn't even notice, right? Somebody could be robbing me blind and I would have no idea because I'm so lasered in on this person. And this goes beyond just a person's words. This is global. This is where their eyes are moving. If their eyes are up, I know they're thinking. If their eyes are down, I know they're uncomfortable. What's happening in their body language? How has their tone changed? What am I noticing that they're resistant? What are they holding, right? This has everything to do with what they're not saying, right? And what's happening between those lines. That for me is coaching because if I'm not a vessel to that person, if I'm not taking my brain out of my head and giving it to them, then they can't think to the quality that I know that they need to think to get where they want to go. The quality of your listening will always determine the quality of that person's thinking. So I would recommend working on you as a person, your presence, your attention, right? Your connection, how you build relationships, understanding people and how they behave and how they work, right? And how you help people to establish that safety with you as a partner and creating that. Because you can learn every framework, right? You can say to me, Jen, I just need to ask better questions, right? You can order every book. You can ask ChatGPT, spit out 3,000 coaching questions to you. You can do all of that, right? But everything that I have learned about coaching, I have never learned in a book. I have never learned in a framework. You know, I've learned a lot in my qualification, but ultimately everything that I have learned about coaching is from coaching other people and focusing on how I be the vessel to them in the coaching partnership. Everything that you will learn about being a good coach will always come from your people. What impact do you want to have on the high performance coach and why are you sat in this seat? I'm sat in this seat because I will, not I want to, but I will change the way that coaches coach inside the fitness industry. Um, I'm really on a mission to make this industry a safer place for people like me who have been chewed up and spat out <laughs> by this industry several times, not at the fault of individuals, but just in the way that it has been constructed for so many years without regulation, without the need to have you know certain things in mind to be able to work with people. I really want to change the experience of every single person who invests in a coach so that they know that when they invest that money, they are going to be okay. I want to help coaches to enhance their skill, their ability, their confidence in coaching, the love for coaching. Coaching is an art and a science, and it is such a vast, vast world that exists out with here that if you're going to call yourself a coach, you need to be able to know that you can actually coach people. So I really want to bring the true definition and the art and the science of coaching to this industry, change the way that this industry works, change the way that coaches work and make it a safer, more productive and just, just a better place for people to invest their money. Amazing. And I think that's why we're sat 
together and I think that's why uh, there's been such a draw for us to be able to come together in terms of this kind of overarching mission of being able to really raise and elevate the standard of the fitness industry, making it a stronger and safer and better place by ensuring the high performance coach becomes like the center of excellence for coaching yeah. um, so that we now know within ourselves, we've got the competence, we've got the confidence, the belief, the certainty uh, and the skills and the opportunity to now be able to really go and truly uh, create um, a journey and a pathway for somebody that will allow them to go and achieve and accomplish things that they didn't even deem or believe were now possible because I feel as though we've got such a huge responsibility. And for us, we're in such a luxurious position whereby you have the opportunity to build a relationship with somebody and change the trajectory in the course of their life, not because of what you do, but because of the action that they take, but how you then facilitate that. And I think that is such a privilege that I don't believe many other people really get the opportunity to do. And I think it's about, again, as coaches taking that with such a high level of responsibility and ownership and then looking inwardly and thinking about what is it I now need to do? Because again, as always, you get the person thriving, the people and the profit will always follow. The cash will always come when the impact and the purpose is there. But we believe this is now about building this and doing this the right way. Um, and this is obviously the game that we're now really looking kind of to develop and play. And even over the last couple of months already, you've been such an integral, influential uh, part of elevating the high performance coach and how we are trying to coach and really how we're trying to open our coaches up to a whole new world of coaching. Um, and I know the impact you've had on me and the team has already been absolutely monumental. So I want to obviously thank you enormously for placing that trust um, into me. And I believe that we're just getting started. Thank you. Nobody yes. else I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than Indonoon. Indonoon drinking peppermint tea. Why would you not want to be Indonoon and I'll to stay drinking peppermint tea? <laughs> and aside from that, is there anything that you want to leave this podcast with? What do I want to leave this podcast with? Hmm. Find your people, find your purpose. If there is no purpose to what you're doing that links to your values as a person and your vision for your life, no matter how much money is in your bank or how many clients you have in your roster, you're never going to be fulfilled. There is not an external thing that will make you happier with your coaching business and your role as a coach. Everything that you need to be better and more fulfilled lies more internally than it does externally. Really understand what is the mission that you're trying to fulfill. Look back over your life and see what's the thread that's ran through all of the things that I have done, not for what I've done, but how and who it's impacted people. Um, I can look back through the thread of my life and say that even amongst struggle, even amongst a really, really difficult, God, 15 years of my life of just what felt like constant struggle, my purpose was always with other people. Even in the times that my own personal life was so challenging and so difficult, I still found so much fulfillment and positively impacting the lives of other people. And that might not be your thing, but find your thing. Find find your your purpose that brings you meaning and fulfillment. And know that if you help your people to thrive and grow, right? Like get the person thriving, the people and the profit follow. But get your people thriving to help you thrive as a person. Like they're the manifestation of your life's work. And if you can find joy and fulfillment in how you positively impact their lives and contribute to their lives, that fulfillment always flows through you. If you're always linked to why you're doing what you're doing, how you do it 
really never matters. So I, I think this is just really about focusing on you as a person and how you positively impact the lives of others through the medium of coaching. Jen, you're making an incredible impact. We appreciate you enormously. I have so much love for you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, team, I hope you were able to enjoy that podcast. I hope you were able to extract some value. If you have and you believe that another coach would benefit from listening to this podcast, please send the other coach to this podcast because this is about us as a collective. This is about playing an infinite game and giving us the opportunity to now be able to really go and have a broader influence on more people. And there might be one concept or one little frame that now potentially might allow you to support somebody in a more positive and more empowering way, which actually is a byproduct, obviously allows us to elevate what it is that we now do. So Jen, so much love. Thank you. Thank team you. appreciate you tuning in and look forward to catching up with you soon bye